This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of Madalena and the Dark by Julia Fine. Madalena and the Dark is a novel set in 18th century Venice at a prestigious music school about two girls drawn together by a dangerous wager. You have 15-year-old Louisa, a young girl who has only ever wanted one thing, to be the best at violin. She has peers, but she does not have friends until Madalena. But Madalena has a secret. She's hatched a dangerous plot to rescue her future her own way. When she invites Louisa into her plans, promising to make her dreams come true, Louisa doesn't hesitate. The girls are drawn into the decadent world outside their music school and must decide what they truly want and what they're willing to pay for it. This book has all the things we love, female friendship, women with boundless desires and secrets, music and magic, all in a beautiful Italian setting. Get Madalena and the Dark, narrated by Sophie Roberts, wherever you get audiobooks today. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Christine Pride and Joe Piazza to discuss their second novel together, You Were Always Mine. Christine Pride is a writer, editor, and longtime publishing veteran. She's held editorial posts at many different trade imprints, including Doubleday, Broadway, Crown, Hyperion, and Simon & Schuster. As an editor, Christine has published a range of books with a special emphasis on inspirational stories and memoirs, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. As a freelance editorial consultant, she does select editing and proposal content development, as well as teaching and coaching, and pens a regular column, Race Matters, for Cup of Joe. She lives in New York City. And Joe Piazza is a best-selling author, podcast creator, and award-winning journalist. She's the national and international best-selling author of many critically acclaimed novels and nonfiction books, including We Are Not Like Them, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, The Knockoff, and How to Be Married. Her work has been published in 10 languages in 12 countries, and four of her books have been optioned for film and television. A former editor, columnist, and travel writer with Yahoo, Current TV, and The Daily News New York, her work has also appeared in The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, New York Magazine, Glamour, Elle, Time, Marie Claire, The Daily Beast, and Slate. She holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania in Economics and Communication, a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and a master's in religious studies from New York University. She lives in Philly with her husband and three children. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Christine, and welcome back, Joe. We are so excited to talk to you guys today. Hi. We're also Thank out of time so for because us. you you guys need to accomplish some more things. In your life. Seriously. With those bios. Joe very, needs more degrees. You need more degrees. <laughs> very impressive, ladies. Very. Yeah. So it's why hilarious. don't you tell I mean, us? I just, I like really, I really like school is the thing. Like I, I have like oh, my degrees, are, most of my degrees are also it. like totally useless. And I'm still, the other day I was like, I'd really like to go get a PhD in history. And my husband's like, stop yeah. it. Just go read stop. a book. <laughs> in my free time. Yeah. yeah. Oh the other my gosh. <laughs> oh, I can't. Dear. Nick finally oh, got his vasectomy. Guys, remember I was telling you that Nick, like, his vasectomy yeah. kept getting postponed? He got yes. snipped two weeks ago. It's done. Or last <laughs> week. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, oh I didn't know God. what you were saying to that. That is like, cheers, a congrats, a yeah. go You have to take the... You have to take the cue from the person, and she's yeah. really happy about it. Yes. She's ready yeah, exactly. for that chapter to be over and I to sure. go get her PhD in history. In whatever. She's going to. The best thing birth. about the vasectomy is I had to drive out to the suburbs to get Botox, um, and he walked home from his vasectomy because oh. I was in the suburbs getting Botox. 
priorities. <laughs> no, if that isn't the gender divide right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, to go that is too general. good. <laughs> Our books are to go yes. on. Mama's got to sell some yes. books. Yes. Yes. Well, speaking of selling some books, why don't you give our listeners just the elevator pitch for You Are Always Mine? Oh, Christine, do you want to do it? I think I did it yesterday. We did a big event yesterday um, and we'd like to trade off. Mm -hmm. So You Are Always Mine is about a woman named uh, Cinnamon Haynes. And I mean, the pitch is really simple because we love these, you know, kind of rip from the headlines, provocative premises, which is she is a black woman uh, who finds an abandoned white baby one day in a park. And there's a little more to it than that. Um, You know, we learn about a connection. We learn about the baby's birth mother. But, you know, this discovery and development really upends her life in a lot of ways. Her husband, as you might imagine, is more than a little surprised uh, when she shows up with this baby. <laughs> uh, he just walks in and there's just his wife with a with a white baby <laughs> on her chest. Tuesday. Out. Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> um, and so the book is about, you know, that what happens with this baby and the decisions that have to be made um, and um, the relationships with the characters and motherhood and choice and all the themes that we love to discuss in our novels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and themes we love to discuss. So we're going to gonna get into those. But I do want to start with Cinnamon. Um, mm-hmm. You just learn so much about her right from the first, you know, page or two. I think this is one of the strongest openings I've read in a long time. I love the first line of this book. I've read it over and over again. I'd like to read, if you don't mind, a little bit from page one about Cinnamon because it's just so good. Cinnamon Haynes can't remember when she stopped wanting things in life. And then the next paragraph is, perhaps her strongest longing was for her mother to come back from wherever she disappeared to when Cinnamon was barely out of diapers, leaving her with her 62-year-old grandmother who passed away three years later. No, her strongest longing was actually for Grandma Thelma to return from the dead and save Cinnamon from everything that came after. These yearnings used to be a roaring furnace deep within her, hot and constant and consuming. But at some point along the way, the fire just burned itself out, slowly, little dying embers one by one, and what was left when the smoke cleared and was acceptance. This was and would always be the life she got. It was almost liberating because with that resignation came the freedom of surrendering, come what may. <sighs> wow. I just mm. right that is page one. I mean, after the prologue, um, I know, so, which also like made me cry right, right well, off the uh, bat. <laughs> yeah, you got us right from the beginning. That was so cinnamon. So the life she got right. We also learned very quickly is a pretty good life. It has the trappings of a good life. She has a house, a job, a husband, but clearly there is uh, this question of wanting. And is this enough? And so I, I'd love to hear about your development of Cinnamon, how she came to you guys, where where it is uh, that we first meet her, because um, it was just beautiful right out of the gate. Well, thank you. And actually, that's the first time we've ever heard anybody else read our words. Like sometimes oh. we read to each other. We're yeah, we're, and we're, together, but we haven't heard it oh before. Oh my gosh, I almost cried. <laughs> You're like, that's pretty yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> I love to- Keep that. Keep that. <laughs> No notes, no notes. <laughs> yes. Um, so for Cinnamon, you know, I mean, we just fell in love with her as a character. And 
she cinnamon has gone through a lot in her life um and that slowly unfolds over the book and i think it's interesting when you know you do have kids or you get to a certain stage in life um it is a lot about reckoning with the past right sometimes kids make you think about that but sometimes you just get to an age where you're like you know sort of where where have i been and and where am i going and so some of that unfolds in the story and you learn that based on what cinnamon has gone through in her past it is um you know almost a miracle that she has this this stable life um you know with as you mentioned the husband and um you know a job that she loves in a town like safety has been her biggest um <clears throat> one of her biggest you know longings um and that that is all any of us want right so she feels mm-hmm. you know almost guilty wanting more from her life and that is this idea of like how much are we entitled to or long for and she kept her um hopes and dreams and desires for herself pretty small and some of us do that and by um this discovery this very dramatic upending discovery it opens cinnamon to think about not only the possibilities of motherhood you know specifically with this baby but looking back at life in general and what what she wants from it and how she's able to shift her perspective and think about her life differently and we root her on hopefully as she does that and then you know goes and claims her dreams and and that's a beautiful thing for any of us to do yeah yeah absolutely so i you're talking about the side of uh cinnamon that she's kind of shut down Mm -hmm. of keeping her wants small but i also could really relate to the trauma in her background and feeling like in order to get those things to be safe you have to really lock that stuff away and bury it and never let it out because if you do, it will be a sinkhole that will just collapse everything that you've built on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I felt that with her and also really enjoyed watching her open up, figure out what she wants, you know, not succumb to the sinkhole feeling or worry of it. And she speaks up for herself and she figures out what she wants over the course of this book. I want to talk about what you were exploring in terms of our secrets and trauma and then her ultimate growth in trusting herself to let those things out. Yeah. And I think that even if you haven't gone through the kinds of trauma that Cinnamon went through in her early childhood. You know, we're all in our 30s trying to figure out our place in the world and who we are as women and how we want to spend the next hopefully 60 years of our life, right? And so I think that's incredibly relatable because we're also all kind of trying to find our voice at that point in yeah. our life. And we get to watch Cinnamon through this insane thing that happens to her finally find her voice her voice that she thought she didn't deserve to have for a really long time um and the book is obviously so embedded in concepts of motherhood and parenting and who deserves to be a mother and is mothering a privilege or a right but just as you said and i'm so glad you noticed that it is also about a woman figuring out who the hell she wants to be in this world right. and mm-hmm. finding her voice and finding her power and taking control 
for the first time in her life. And that is something we think anyone can relate to at any age, if you're a mother or if you're child free. And I'm just, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You don't, everyone has the things that, the parts of themselves they feel like they need to pack away in order to build a better life for yourself. Whatever those things mean, everybody feels that pull of like, this is something I have to hide away to be successful, to be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to find a partner or to mother or to whatever it is, you feel like that's the thing you have to hide away. And then there does come a point in life when you, it's harder to hold it in than it is to think about exploring it. And so you really got us. Well, there's also so much shame involved. And that's what we were trying to explore too, right? That cinnamon feels Mm -hmm. a lot of shame about her past and about, you know, I think anytime you feel like an outlier to whatever is the normal, conventional, relatively rare nuclear family, you know, pretty picture that we've been sold kind of thing, any outlier to that makes you feel, you know, I had the wrong childhood. I did something wrong, you know, like this is, and I, you know, it's really compounded with cinnamon being a black woman in this country, right? Where it's, you know, she feels really self-conscious about being a stereotype, you know, in terms of what is foisted on her then in terms of the judgments and perceptions about her. And so that is also a part of a layer to her motivation to say, you know, but I have this, you know, now stable job and successful husband and all the trappings, right, that we've been told, we've been sold as, well, this will make you legitimate or right acceptable all of those things Mm -hmm. that you chase and so she did and she found as we often do that that doesn't bring us the same level of happiness as we've been persuaded that it will Mm -hmm. that it will exactly and there's so many people in her life when they find out of course they're like why didn't you tell me why didn't you tell me and i get that why people would say that but I think to your point, like, like that's so easy, right? No, mm-hmm. it's not. When you layer on the shame and, and her race and everything else, no, like it's feels safer. Yeah. And that's yeah. what she's seeking to not share. Yeah. Um, but the one person who she finds a bond with, even though they, she's not fully honest with her either is Daisy. So I want to talk about her. She is, as you said, she's a 19 year old girl who is also motherless like cinnamon. So they do form this unusual bond and you write they recognized their broken selves in each other without even having to acknowledge it and I love that because I do think without even using words there was some connection that they felt because of that Um, but she gets pregnant she leaves the baby in the park for cinnamon to find as you said and we get her point of view for most of the story through the letters that she writes to her baby daughter that she left behind every single one of which i think corinne and i were saying we cried at (laughs) um the letters are a beautiful addition to the book so i do want to hear about your development of daisy but also of course why you decided to include her point of view in this epistolary format we love yeah, and it was really important. letters and novels. It's just something. I, I, yes, it's like a device that yeah. I've always, you know, as a reader, just loved so much. So, yeah. But you were saying, Joe, but, it's, but not everyone loves them, and that is, and that is interesting because not everyone loves mm-hmm. a letter. Uh, mm-hmm. says, says someone who's been reading too many Goodreads reviews lately. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you reading I, those, by the way, was hysterical. <laughs> I was dying at your Instagram reel. 
The one where the person said you used too big of words. I, yes. I, I can't. Yeah, there was there was a person who actually said the main character's name was Cinnamon. Couldn't get past that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's a first for everything. Can't help you. Yeah. My other favorite Goodreads review was overly complicated words, and I'm like, I just. Yeah. That's sorry. The one I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Not sorry, my friends, but yes. No, to get back to Daisy, and it was so important to us. It was always important to us to write about the birth mother's story and also to show this side of motherhood that is not shown nearly enough in um, culture and media, which is the non privileged version of motherhood. We see a lot of, okay, you are a person who wants to be a mother and you chose this and you planned this to happen at exactly the right time that you want it to happen. And that's not the way the majority of pregnancies in the world happen. Uh, And that's not the way it happened for Daisy. And Daisy, like so many women in this country, didn't have a lot of options for what to do when she got pregnant. But she knew, also like a lot of women in this country, that having that baby would ruin her life, that she wasn't ready for it. She she did not want to be a mother. She knew she wouldn't be a good mother right now. And she knew it would derail her big dreams and aspirations. And that's the truth for so many women. Um, no matter how you feel politically um, about you know what a woman's options are, It just is the truth that that will completely derail your life and what you want to do. Uh, We wanted to get at that. And we started writing Daisy well before the Roe v. Wade decision was overturned. Uh, We finished her before Roe v. Mm -hmm. Wade was overturned, actually. And uh, then it just became so much more important for us to show this complicated young woman who had very little agency in her life and show her internal monologue of what she would want to say to her baby girl that she left behind to show how difficult a decision that was, that it's not something undertaken lightly, much like how motherhood is nothing you can undertake lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I want to talk about that. This book is obviously a very complex exploration of motherhood. And I, if it's okay, I'd like to read, we have an arc here and you have a dear reader letter uh, in this arc. And I'd like to to read a little bit of that, if that's okay. Please. There's a unique magic in co-writing a book. And by magic, we mean inevitable, tense moments and profound partnership. The same way our different races as authors informed our distinct perspectives in We Are Not Like Them, our different reproductive choices and experiences have influenced this novel. For Joe, that's a husband and three kids. And for Christine, the decision to be child-free by choice. We were able to have many invigorating conversations among ourselves and our friends and the folks we interviewed as we wrote this book about what it means to create family, blood and chosen, and the infinite configurations and pathways involved in that journey, and about how these bonds can save us or scar us, oftentimes both. I want to. I, mean, I forgot writing that. Christine, yeah, do you remember writing yeah, yeah. that? I do remember writing that, yeah. <laughs> now I remember, but I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you going to read us? And I'm like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> it, it, it's true. It is. And I love that you are acknowledging that not only is there not only one way to be a mother, there's not even two ways. Like here we've right. got two distinct ways to make choices around motherhood. And then by by even doubling one to two, you just open the door that there are infinite ways of becoming a mother, being a mother, grappling with motherhood. And it's not simple. It's not as linear as people think. 
my mother got pregnant at 19, like Daisy, and she chose my father was in the picture and she was happy and she wanted this. But she made that choice at 19. And I have a younger brother who is 15 years younger than me. And she was in her early 30s. And she's he's the favorite child, I think, because they were better parents. Uh And I don't know if she had thought about it more. Would she have made the same choice? No one knows, but that and that was her choice and her path. But it's complicated, to say the least. Um, So Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about what you were what you learned together writing this story and about motherhood and creating family and what you were trying to um, express to the readers. Part of this story, too, is informed by the fact that uh, my parents were foster parents um, when I was younger. Um, And so they took in and raised two foster children when I was, um, you know, starting when I was like 14 or 15. And um, so, you know, that experience, like you just see firsthand all of the, especially in one household, right? And it's sort of like what you were saying where, um, you know, there's a different – there's just all these different configurations and all these different contexts for and timing for family, right? Yeah. And the different, mm-hmm. um, you know, even both of my foster sisters had very different backgrounds themselves and then coming together, right? And so it just really was a formative experience for me from such a young age in terms of, you know, different bonds of family and how they're built and also how they're broken, right? And how we have all these hopes and dreams for, um, you know, our children, no matter when we have them. Um, And, uh, you know, everybody is somebody's daughter or, you know, somebody's son. And we like to think have the best intentions. And then when that doesn't work out, right, in Cinnamon's case, or even in an adoptive families or foster families case, which we learn a little more about in Cinnamon's background, some of her different foster experiences, um, you know, you just, really see how messy and complicated and difficult and beautiful and challenging it is in all of these different ways, in all of these, um, you know, different ties. Um, And we were trying to get just like a little piece of that, right? (laughs) Um, Through both of these characters, both in terms of their relationships with each other, you know, with Daisy and Cinnamon's bond, but also their respective families and, you know, the ups and downs there and their extended families and their chosen families, um, you know, the people in their lives that love them like family but aren't blood and that um you know is is such an important part of all of our lives yeah Yeah. i I think it just felt very clear that no matter the choices you make it's never like a straight shot it's a bumpy road there's things you regret and things you're proud of and things that hurt that you're also proud of and then things that you know, you try to hide that you shouldn't. There was just, uh, it was just opened up really this idea that motherhood is not one thing at all. And it's not like you can make the right choice and everything right. just falls into place, right? It's not Absolutely. that. Absolutely. 
And also that we don't yeah. have a lot of books or a lot of stories or pop culture about the ambivalence about motherhood, right? Like we have a lot of people yeah. having babies and then there's a lot about after the baby, right? The ups, the downs, the motherhood memoirs, the first year, the second year, the teenage years, you know, I mean, we that's mm-hmm. like we cover a lot and a lot of different experiences are represented. But the initial, do I want to have a baby or not? Or am I wrestling with this choice? You know, so often those deliberations are done in silence, right? Because there's so much shame attached yes. to not just being full gun ho of, you know, 100% yes. no matter what. I want to have a baby and this is it. And, you know, the sky is opening and, you know, the sun is shining down. Um, and so yeah. those stories are, are feels more secretive. And so we wanted to explore that. Like Daisy's yeah. really internal monologue about how scared she is. And then Cinnamon even saying, I have this baby now, but like, you know, what do I do? (laughs) Uh, Which is a big question, right? right? Like that's the central question of our lives. Like, what do I do now? And we feel like it's different and fresh. Like we hadn't seen that really done before the, the, the ambivalence factor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say say something that's really interesting to me and not to go back to our Goodreads reviews, but I'm going to for a second, just because I think, you know, I'm hearing this more in the, now that the book is starting to be more out in the wild, motherhood is a real fraught topic. And I know that because I write about, you know, having kids and being a mother. And I always get the most insane commenters every time that I do. But when we wrote, We Are Not Like Them, which is about a police shooting of a black man, we prepared ourselves Mm. for, you know, every possible comment we would get on Mm -hmm. our take or our character's take or book on race and social justice. And we didn't get as much feedback on that, like negative feedback, negative comments as we thought we would. With this, because it involves a baby, and particularly a black woman taking in a white baby, we're already seeing people have thoughts Mm. and have judgment. And I think because everything concerning motherhood feels so fraught, people feel like they can judge it and they'd be very vocal about it. So now we, and we, honestly did not prepare in the same way that we had for We Are Not Like Them. So I think yeah. it's going to be really interesting to start this conversation because whether or not you can disagree with everything Cinnamon does in this book. In fact, we hope you do, right? Because that starts a conversation. But that's our goal is for you to have these feelings, these yeah. intense feelings. And, you know, I've seen some people say, like, I was angry with her. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Like maybe then, like that. I we I think books should make you feel something. Um, right. I was frustrated with her. Truly excellent response. Yeah. I believe that. Right. Um, yeah. Except right. the flip and, yeah. side. I mean, I totally agree with that. But I think it's interesting, and what we want people to do is interrogate where this anger or frustration comes from. Well, exactly. Yes. I, I yes. love exactly. People That's... picked up in in we are not like them. We've been joking that we should not have named two books with two such like so many pronouns. So switching back and forth, <laughs> yeah, you know, is impossible. But I am never yours, not <laughs> mine. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> what? We did this to ourselves, and in retrospect, very bad move. It's our but, fault. <laughs> um, and we are not like them. You know, when we turned a, a common trope on its head of, you know, kind of the white savior narrative with Riley's family being, you know, sort of the stable family and taking Jen in and so forth, like readers notice that the 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 
you know, that we are showing something that is is not as common, um, or at least portrayed as, as as common. And the same thing here, right? Like people have a re- different reaction. If this was a white woman finding a white baby, I think people would have a different reaction. And so we want people to interrogate that, right? Like what are Or a those? white woman finding a black baby, to be or honest. A white, or a white woman, woman finding, finding a black any baby. baby. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's like what, um, you know, why are you having this reaction, I think, is mm-hmm. is a really interesting part of the journey of this book in terms of what we're trying to do um, is yeah. is bring to light those those real internal, deeply seated biases where it's like something about this doesn't feel right. Well, and why? why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think you do that so well. I, that's uh, I wanted to actually read another passage that I think really gets at what you're saying about the questions about race and our own perceptions and assumptions. When she brings the baby home uh, to her husband, as you mentioned earlier, he has quite the reaction, but the reaction he has is very understandable, and it, it raises even some dangerous assumptions mm-hmm. and, and consequences of what... Um, could happen if they decided to keep this baby. Um, so you write, he says, no one would ever believe she's mine, that I had any sort of right to be with her. And then you write, it's true. Cinnamon can't picture Jason toting a little blonde girl around to soccer practice and playdates, walking her to school drop-off in the morning. Jason would never be able to endure the looks and the questions. All the strangers watching him, scrutinizing him, making sure he was where he belonged and that he wasn't up to no good. Lord knows living with all that is hard enough without a blue-eyed baby in tow. She could get away with it. Strangers would probably give her the benefit of the doubt. Assume the baby was safe with the nanny, like they did when she was with Lucia's kids, but it would be different for him. Not just different, downright dangerous. People would think she was a paid caregiver. They'd see him as a criminal. Hmm. And that I, you know, there was another part too about like a caregiver museum that she was taken to where all the photographs of black women, excuse me, caring for white women is something we're all used to Mm -hmm. that were like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. But when you flipped that for me in that scene, when I thought you're absolutely right, if Jason, the black man is taking this little white girl to the park, he would be viewed that way Uh I mean, by a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I think that's, we were just saying, I wanted to know what you were trying to explore there. It sounds like, yeah, just making people think, think. and question their own assumptions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, and a lot of people have said that to us. Also, by the way, your audio book reading voice is so good. I think you should read audiobooks. <laughs> I mean, you're like real great. Uh, Thank you. But you know, when people get to Jason saying that, they're like, oh wow! I never thought about it yeah, like that. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. And those are those are some of the moments that we think that book clubs can really sink their teeth into. Yes. yes. Um, you know, even the more like, if you want to push it a little further, like, have you seen a black man with a white child on the playground or in a restaurant? And what goes through your head, or what goes through your head anytime you see an interracial pairing of parent and child? Um, when you see a white parent. With black children, what's the first thing that you think when you see, and you don't see black parents with adopted white children as often, it is rare. Uh, But really asking those hard questions we think is something 
that you know, can start some really great conversations when people yeah. sink their teeth into this. And so we're, you know, we're going to go on our book club journey again. We did <laughs> 200 book clubs uh, oh for We Are Not Like wow. Them. And we're just excited to for people to start having these conversations yeah. when it comes to race and, and parenting. We think it's yeah. so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and that is the work that you're doing. I think it's great work just to plant that seed and say, what do you see? What are mm-hmm. you used to seeing and how it immediately stands out when you see something different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What the ramifications of that are, it's one thing if it's mm-hmm. just an internal thought process, but now we know that that has real life ramifications, right? People's thoughts inform policies and inform, you know, your safety mm-hmm. in the world and all of these things. And yes. so, uh, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that too, right? That, I mean, like we were talking about in Jason's case, it's one thing to feel like, oh, that doesn't feel right. That black man with a, you know, a white child or something about that feels off to me internally. Maybe you don't even express that, but it's another that somebody else will, somebody else will call the police. Somebody else will, um, you know, so that has real strong consequences. Um, So it's not just necessarily thoughts and prayers, hearts and minds, but, you know, how is this really affecting our society and affecting people's choices in our society and what they feel they can and cannot do? It really matters. Yeah. At the beginning of the letter I read, um, your your reader's letter, you talked about co-writing and the magic that's there. Kate, I think you have some insight into this pairing Mm. astrologically. Oh, yes. Oh, stop it. I love it when you guys bring up astrology. It's my favorite thing. (laughs) Well, we already had spoken to Joe, so I knew you were a Virgo. And so then I had to go check what Christine was. And then, of course, I had a complete meltdown because I'm a Leo. And when a Leo sees another Leo. Strong Leo energy over here. See? (laughs) See? So then we freak out. And then we know we're kindred spirits and everything else. So then I was like, what can I do with the astrology? I'm like... Let me check their compatibility, like a Leo and a Virgo friendship or partnership. So I don't know if this tracks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a great partnership is what I've concluded. A little bit of like an opposites attract here, but Leo is a fixed sign. So we like to concentrate on one idea and like see a task through to the end. Like you give us a job, we will finish it, right? Yeah. But Virgo, you guys are more a mutable sign. So you like to be interested in several things at once. <laughs> Shocker, Joe. We For example, you're like, God is charged. Great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might, we could say you have a few things going at once usually. Um, but Leos, you know, we like to be the leaders and like kind of control and roar, you know, dominate. But Virgos, you know, you are not quite like that. You're like, a little more like task oriented, but they say this is a great match. Let me just read the end. The most Mm -hmm. important feature of a relationship between a Leo and a Virgo is the fact that they make such a fantastic team when they work together. Leos adore and receive admiration and respect from others by their leadership skills, gregarious nature, and ability to deal with problems and situations. Virgos are quieter and work in the background, controlling and balancing everything. Their widely different nature makes the friend balance each other wonderfully. So do you feel like this is, I feel like it's a great balance. Obviously. Yeah. I think that tracks. Oh, I think that totally tracks. I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love it when I love it when it's right because I'm yes. like, I know. Yeah. Well, we try. We try. <laughs> or though, Kate, if you yeah, were like, you know, this so. is doomed. This, you know, the the signs say that Virgo and Leo should I never be together. Like, astrology is bunk. That is so, like, whoa, okay, yeah. pseudoscience yeah. over here. That's why I wouldn't have read it if I didn't think yeah. so. But but I get it. I feel like it's a it's a good balance, and clearly, you guys are are living proof of this. Yes. So like. What is your partnership like? How would you describe your, like, kind of who brings what to the table and how your process works together? Yeah, I mean, I think that yin and yang thing really resonated with me and that we, I mean, especially now that we've collaborated for so long, it's, um, you know, you really just learn each other's both strengths and weaknesses, right? And we can leverage that and balance each other out in that way. And also our idiosyncrasies and, you know, it's just like it deepens over time, um, both in terms of friendship and a professional relationship. But I think that it's probably would it work? And I don't know, you know, what relationships work when two people are too the same or too different, right? Mm, I think yeah. you need that yeah. that middle ground um, where it's like we're speaking the same language. We have the same values. We have the same vibe. We definitely have the same drive and work ethic and all of those things. But our approaches and our mindsets and our personalities, you know, are yeah, very your strengths. Different. Yeah. Yeah, you, you complement each other's strengths and then shore up the other person's weaknesses. That's how it works for Kate and I too. So yeah. Well, we've taken a lot of your time. I appreciate it. But do That's you want to just, so fun. will you tell us what else we can expect from you guys or what's coming? Together or separate? Yes, both. Yeah. With all the things forever yes, and ever. Tell us. Well, Christine and I Christine and I recently renewed our vows and <laughs> Yay! decided Yay. Um, we're writing another book together, our third book called <laughs> The Pronouns. <laughs> pronouns. Never die. I never knew you at all. Um, <laughs> and we're about a hundred pages deep into that. Uh, and it's okay. different. It's, you know, exploring race within a marriage. And there's, you know, some, you know, suspenseful aspects, mystery aspects to it. And it's great. Mm. Uh, and as I told you guys before, I'm working on my novel. Well, my, it's finished. The Sicilian Inheritance, which comes out in April. And the pre-order links for that are actually going live in like three weeks, which is wow. crazy. Um, yeah. And Christine uh, is also doing a solo novel, which is based on her own um, magical, ridiculously adorable love story. So I'll let you tell. I'll let Christine tell us oh, all about that. Do tell. Ripped from the headlines of my own life situation. But it's very, very much a novel. But it's called To, to All the Men I've Loved Again. And it's about a woman who... Um, is in a love triangle with two men in her 20s and then finds herself in the same love triangle in her 40s. So it's about second chances oh, and how you would make a different decision, you know, and and why and um, first loves and it's fun. Oh my gosh, you, Christine, you, you don't are... know why I'm dying over here, but go ahead. You're, you're, you're blowing like, like our mind. Yeah. Why? Do you this have is like to know, right, Did you yeah. reconnect no, it's, old love? No, but... <laughs> We don't, whatever. I'm just, I'm a big fan of the one that got away as a theme. How about I, I just leave it at that? And, and that I just love a second chance love story. Love and it. that is fresh. It's like the history repeating itself in a different time when you're a different person, your growth, mm-hmm. they are too. That is fascinating. 
when can we get a copy of that? July 2025, yeah. which feels like the future. Okay. Oh, boy. Also, we'll okay. be here before we know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, in publishing, that is like right around the corner. Yes, it does feel. Yeah, and, and less, yeah. You know, I that's exciting until I think of the deadline, which is also right around the corner. And then I get yes, panicked. Yes, yes. It'll happen. Well, that's amazing. Ladies, thank you so much for making us think, challenging us, starting discussions. I mean, this is making us cry. Yeah. Also, we're so glad we made you cry. Yes. Yeah. I know. It feels terrible to say that, but we are. (laughs) But it's true. And we can think and cry. Yes. And we like it's, we love it. We love it all. You bring it out in us. and, And thank you for that. So. Uh, thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, we yeah. love this conversation, and oh. I hope we can come back for all the books forever. Yes. And yes. For all the books. For, for, for all, all the books. And come back chances for all. And regrets. I will keep <laughs> trying to come back. Yeah, I'm going to have to come up with more astrology angles, but we, we can. <laughs> we, don't worry. We can do Perfect. it. We can get into any woo-woo things. We can branch out. Yes. So. Love it. We will. We will. Well, thank you.